lovers, this is Dr. Candace Nicole with How to Love a Human. You can follow me and the How to Love a Human project on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candace Nicole and HowToLoveAHuman.com, where I welcome your contribution to the conversation. Today, I'm dialoguing with Amber, and I appreciate all you lovers out there for taking this journey with me to discover. Hey everyone, today on How to Love a Human, I am with Amber with Black Chick Watching. Hey Amber. Hey cool kids. How's it going? I'm good actually. Could you, uh, what's good for you? Tell me good. Well, what happened was, uh, I'm like a leaf in the wind. Uh, not a good thing to say, actually. If you're a fan, <laughs> if you're a geek and you're a fan of Firefly, then you know that that's a bad thing. No spoilers. But uh, I'm feeling really good, and I feel like I'm coming into my own and doing my own thing because me and normal jobs don't get along. Mm-hmm. I took a test to see what type of job I'd be good at, and I got 100% circus performer. No, you didn't. That is not made up. That is a for real thing that happened to me because I'm me and that's how my life works. So I've been flitting and flatting and floating and I've been a dilettante in the past and that's fine with me. And I think I'm kind of finding my thing. And so, yeah, I'm excited about that. So what's that thing? Well, I, okay, so there's two things happening. One is I want to do public speaking like as my gig Mm -hmm. and so I'm pursuing that and getting some coaching and education and stuff and the other thing is in a couple or a month and a half from this recording I'll be doing something called the 48 hour film project oh what's that yeah, you get 48 hours 48 hours to make a movie. What? You don't know what it, yeah, you don't know what it's going to be about or the genre until the first day. And then you have 48 hours to write, uh, produce, render, and present a movie. Wow. Yeah, So, and I know nothing about movie making. Uh, so I'm putting together a team, and it's going to have a strong black chick focus okay uh with the writing and with the cast nice and it doesn't even necessarily have to be about race for me it's just the representation Mm -hmm. in the you know with the writing and with the uh performers is important to me and i feel like with those two i'm kind of going towards doing me yeah so i'm excited about it yeah that sounds dope. I I knew someone back in the day who had um, a company that was similar. They used to go to college campuses and give students, this is before phones used to be cameras, give students cameras and laptops for a week and let them make movies and then have a big film festival. So this seems like a modern rendition of that with shorter amount of time to do it. This sounds cool. So I'm going to start with my non-researchy question first. Mm-hmm. Are you feeling human or human as fuck today? Half. Um, so, today I feel human. Mm, say more about what makes the difference for you. So I feel like being human is, you know, you know, the meat suits we're in and it's also you know, our psychology and spirituality, if you're into that. And Mm -hmm. it's all that stuff and it's messy and it can be wonderful and stuff like that. 
But for some reason today, I think because things are coming together and uh, everything's a conversation, everything's a story. Mm -hmm. So I used Mm -hmm. to be a burlesque dancer and 11 years ago, uh, last Thursday was my first show. And so there was an anniversary show and I hurt, I stopped dancing six years ago and I hurt my knees. So for the reunion for the anniversary show, I couldn't dance and I was pissed about that, but I got to do a toast, but it was so weird to be in that space again and to see all the glitter and the magic and the lights and all that stuff. And, and so I'm still kind of high from that. I do mm-hmm. not want to go back to that world. I left for a reason, but I'm high from that and seeing myself 11 years ago and like, what was I wearing? And <laughs> all these people whose lives I impacted, uh, impact, yeah, impacted. And just, there's just so much. And then this, right, this, um, the film stuff, I'm meeting people who want to be a part of it and believe in my mission. Mm-hmm. And so there's all this stuff that makes me feel I don't want to say supernatural, mm-hmm. but it makes me feel special. Yeah. Yeah. And for you, human is to feel special. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> um, I, okay. It's like, do you feel, for me, when I, the way I hear it is mm-hmm. like, do you feel moody or moody as fuck? And so moody <laughs> is like, okay. forget what moody is, but like moody as fuck is like, you understand, like moody means, ugh. and so I'm like, no, I'm a little distant from being human. I feel a Got little goddess esque. Okay, all right, I see where you're going with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, elevated from the human experience. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So. You just, first of all, you just dropped a jewel on us because I had no idea that you used to be a burlesque dancer. But what I'm going to ask you next may tie into some other aspects of that. So share with me your most salient identities. Who are you? Cool. So I'm Amber, also known as Amber P. My last name does not begin with a P. It's a whole thing. (laughs) Whatever. It's a boring story. But uh, Amber and I'm, my race is black, my nationality is American, and my ethnicity is Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And um, the differences in that is is important to me. Yeah. Um, and, Say more about what the importance of that. Well, um, so I'm black. Mm-hmm. That's my race. And I feel like the term black covers the diaspora in a way that no other word really can. I feel you on that. Yeah, and I was born and raised in America, but my parents are from the Caribbean, and so I basically grew up in a Caribbean home. Mm -hmm. I didn't have... I still don't have that many um, African-American friends. My friends are mostly uh, Caribbean, of Caribbean descent, um, and a few of African descent. Um, Sorry more direct African mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so um the term african-american is a problem for me because it's an ethnicity not a race yeah because nelson mandela and oprah winfrey are the same race that's true and so it, it gets me when it becomes everyone who's black is african-american they're not the same thing and before it was kind of like eh, well you know <laughs> African-American, black, you know, I don't care if somebody confuses me. It's not like, you know, that's, it's not a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but it became bad when it was like, 
oh, well, it's happening by accident because people don't know. It's like, no, we're not really going to do anything to try to change that. And it's a very American thing. Mm, mm-hmm. and, and so I, I'm starting to resent that. I say starting to because, I'm, because I want your listeners to love me. <laughs> I, I just straight up resent it. Gotcha. Um, so, so, yeah, so my Caribbean roots, like, I grew up very different from uh, other, like, my church I went to when I was religious was all Caribbean. And, like, it was, like, a thing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, one of my favorite things is stories is I was at camp and my friend and I, we were eating camp food. And she was, like, she was white. Well, not that it matters. Anyhow, she wasn't Caribbean. And she said, man, they can't touch my grandma's apple pie. And I was like, yeah, I bet they can't touch my grandpa's curry goat. And she's like, <laughs> goat? Like like a goat goat? Like an animal goat? And it's like, for y'all who have issues with uh, goat, go ahead, make fun of it more for me. Okay? <laughs> so, so, so that's what it was like. Like, even till this day, <laughs> this is so ridiculous, but there are times when I'll say, I'll find myself saying, um, do Americans do that? Or like, it, do Americans know about that? Sort of like what black people do, like, oh, do white people know about this thing? Mm. And it's like, it doesn't happen a lot. It's like I didn't grow up on another planet, but right. it's it was such a weird insular world that there there is a difference. So anyhow, yeah, and I was born here, and I'm, so I'm American, whatever. But um, but yeah. So when you are raised in a Caribbean household in culture, and your parents have instilled that value, do you find that there's a difference for you between like? when you're around Caribbean people and you're identif- self-identifying versus when you're around uh, black American born people and you're self-identifying? Do I feel different when I'm around them? No. Do you d- identify differently? Like, do you say I am from whatever Caribbean country your parents are oh, from versus oh no. I am? Okay. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> There is Inger Island squabbling that mm-hmm. happens. I know, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, all in good fun. But it's sort of like how, I guess, people think about their sports teams, mm-hmm. but but with less violence. But um, but yeah, there there is a, but it's, it's, it's camaraderie, and I feel very yeah. comfortable um, around other, but at the end of the day, I am the most... My blackness is what connects me the most with other people, especially being a black woman. And so that's the other thing is, you know, my race, my ethnicity, my nationality and being a black woman, Mm. being a woman in general. I mean, we are connected as a sisterhood, but Mm -hmm. being a black woman, that's more of a hence the podcast. Got it. What makes being a black woman stand out versus other identities? It's the one that I have found um, has I my life has been affected that I can sense that I can feel mm-hmm. as being a black woman versus anything else. So like even when it's like issues that pertain to women, there are some. But when it comes to race, I I would need to graduate to white women problems. Mm, you know I get what, what you're like saying. that even when it comes to 
like issues that some people have with women, sometimes what they mean is white women. Mm. Or what would be an example of that? Sure. So, because I feel where you're coming from, but break it on down. Yeah. Um. Well, the whole strong black woman thing. Mm-hmm. So white women will talk about, especially feminists, uh, feminists with a capital F. They there's this whole thing about like my podcast talks about media. I, I absorb a lot of media, take mm-hmm. in a lot of media, mostly TV, but movies too. And one of the things that I hear a lot from white feminists is, and feminists in general, and I get it is, you know, this concept of women needing to be saved and I don't need a savior. Da, 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 da. Black women have not been worthy enough to need saving. Mm. That's mm. never been a thing. We either won't, weren't worthy or why would we need to? We could do it our damn selves. Mm. And so we should. You know what I mean? It's that whole Sojourner Truth mm-hmm. ain't I woman thing. Like mm. that has that has informed a lot of my life is not getting the best place anywhere and not being helped over mud puddles. And it's like in the totality of my life and my world, um, I like the male gaze yeah. a yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I and I I'm doing fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But when it comes to the issues that stick in my craw about how I inter- the things that I'm dealing with, they usually have to do with being black or being a black woman. Got it. Yeah. I totally feel where you're coming from with the savior thing. And I've long reconciled that I'm womanist and not feminist because of yeah. the ways that I think white feminism addresses certain issues that don't apply to my experience yeah i feel where you're coming from with that but i hadn't heard you know what stood out to me though somebody just affirmatively saying i like the male gaze i like it you don't get to hear that often yeah and it's 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 one of the weird things about being a um being a I hate using the term woke now because white people took it, Mm, but being a woke woman is in your heterosexual or in a heterosexual relationship is you're literally sleeping with the enemy in a certain way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) depending on how you look at it. So it's this weird thing. It's like the, this patriarchal bullshit, you know, da, 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 these men over here. I'm going to let one put a baby in me eventually, but still, (laughs) you know what I mean? And, you know, I don't don't necessarily want to have a kid, but if I do, it's like, oh, it's this weird thing that you have to reconcile Mm. is, and also, like, like, I do like some older fashion things Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. it comes to relationships, and it, I sort of feel uncomfortable around other women, and this is excluding, you know, race aside, any woman, uh, because it's the, again, lack of a better term, woke women will have issues with how old fashioned I am. Hmm. Or what are some of those things thing? that for you feel old fashioned? Well, um, I, because, okay, so I, I only date like, age 45 and older now gotcha. because of stuff like this. Um, one, it seems small, but it's not. I no longer date people, uh, date guys who don't pay mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. things. 
that's not that's not how I want things to go down. Mm-hmm. Like I I like being appreciated like that. I like being appreciated for my femininity. I like a um, an alpha male. Mm-hmm. And again, it's this weird line between um a Neanderthal and someone who, you know, you want to hold their arm when you're walking down the street at night, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Someone mm-hmm. who's going to, you know, beat up the monsters. They sleep by the door so they can beat up monsters and, you know, you know, shut your mouth, woman, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's, um, it, it is a weird balance and it's, it's funny because I'll have people who will say, you know, you know, we need to do this when it comes to sex workers. We need to do this when it comes to women's issues. We need to do that. Da, 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 da. And then I'll go on lunch break and be like, I want to have a poofy dress at a wedding. What's the matter with you? Oh, mm. my God. And it's like a thing. It's like there are rules on what it's okay for you to want. If you want a big poofy wedding, if you want to take somebody's last name, I would... I, I'm an actress and I have a dope name. It's yeah. Amber Knight with a K. It is and dope. It's like a dope movie name. But if I wasn't going to do that, I would 100% without question change my last name. It's like I am cool with a lot of, with sorry, with some stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just there's baggage that comes with some of those traditions. And that's where the issues come in. That's so real to me because... I changed my last name Well, I'm in the process of changing my last name. And a lot, there was a lot of conversation that I was having around what it means to be married and changing your last name and taking a, wearing a wedding ring and an engagement ring and all of that. And I'm like, I'm here for all of it. Actually, I'm here for yeah. the ring wearing the name changing and all of that. I'm, I'm of that mindset. And at the same time, I'm a womanist and some people really want you to choose sides and i'm okay with living in the gray of that exactly i can pick and choose this Mm -hmm. is all a card Mm -hmm. it really is it really is what about identities that you may not have mentioned things like sexual orientation or gender identity ability age social class all of that stuff oh jesus um that i mean i can say what they are they um they Yeah, I mean, how they affect me aren't front-burner things, which is why I didn't even think to mention them. Like, for example, I have bipolar disorder, Mm -hmm. and I do talks about it. Like, it's a part of my life. Yeah. Like, it's it's like a thing, and, you know, helping break stigma. Like, technically, I guess that is a part of my life, but I didn't even think to bring it up. Like, I forgot about that. Do you think Um, you often forget about it if it's not specifically the subject? Wait, one more time? I said, do you think you often forget about bringing it up if it's not specifically the subject? Like if you didn't go to talk about being having a bipolar disorder? Yes, I guess. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I guess it depends on the point in my life and what's going on. But mm-hmm. I, did a t- I went to a talk this morning <laughs> uh, to listen to a talk about bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. So it is a big part of my life. Got it. And yet... Um, the issues I have, there are some very big similarities and parallels between living with a psychiatric diagnosis and being a person of color. Mm. But 
I don't know. The black stuff is seems more immediate. Got it. To me. You know what? What is interesting to me is I had another person on the show who had a chronic illness, not a mental illness, but a chronic physical ailment. And it wasn't something that came up when she first identified her more salient identities. And she talked about every time she talks about her identities, it's one of the last ones she mentions, (laughs) (laughs) even though it's such a serious, important part of her life. And so that, I mean, you, you saying that kind of resonated with me around that same thing. What does it mean to you to have bipolar disorder? Um, (laughs) one or two, um, two. Okay. The fun one. Mm -hmm. The fun one. (laughs) The thing about bipolar disorder. Okay. Is what they don't tell you about, about mania in, uh, you know, in these schools and in these books, uh, mania is great. Mm -hmm. People take drugs so they can feel the way that I do when I'm manic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's delicious and it's so it's it's awesome. I love really that is. word, delicious, in describing it. Yes. <laughs> However, there is the whole destroying your life part, so mm-hmm. that sucks. Um, so that, yeah, I eventually got sick of that and was like, you know what, how about I get on the ball with this and stop thinking I was cured. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it, I was cured of bipolar disorder several times because I took the meds begrudgingly and I was like oh I feel better pshaw I don't need these anymore then comes mania <laughs> so um yeah I mean it's it is I felt bionic and uh, it's funny the the talk I went to she said something really cool and I don't remember who she was quoting but she basically said that you can't if you put mania into somebody who's not creative, it doesn't make them creative. Mm. You know, and if you take the mania away from somebody who's creative, it doesn't make them not creative. So mania is divorced from creativity. Okay. Uh, the See, drive I didn't know that. And, you know, all that stuff that connected with mania sometimes drive each other, but it, it eventually, you know, goes off the rails. Yeah. Yep. I so, thought there was yeah. a big connection between mania and creativity. So that's a really interesting perspective on it. <laughs> People who want to stay manic think that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> they spread the word on it because they don't know no better. Because it's, it's, it's hard when you, when you think that that's, you know, you know, changing your lucky socks or, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, leaving that, that high of mania. It's, it's, it's a thing. One of my favorite writers, who's also a psychologist, Kay Redfield Jameson, and writes An Unquiet Mind. Have you read that one? That is who I saw this morning. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> She's an amazing writer. Wow. Like an amazing writer. And the way she describes her experience with mania and how good it felt to her. Really, I have my students read that because I'm like, you need to know. What people feel like they're losing when you put them on medication. Exactly. It's a whole thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the reason I, I didn't take meds because, you know, I I was new age in the past. 
that I got burned. I really feel like I was sold a bill of goods. I left Christianity kind of as an amicable divorce. Mm -hmm. I just went on my merry way. But with the new age movement, that, that crashed and burned. And I, Mm. you know, a lot of healing that I have to do around that. But I thought that, you know, I was cured all these times and that I was going to, you know, take enough detox tea and I'd be fine. And I wasn't. Yeah. Um, so it was a thing. Um, I was going to say something else, but I forgot what it was. Well, if it comes back to you, feel free to just chime on in with it. Yeah. And you said some other, you said you had some other identities that for you, they don't take front stage. Um, yeah, well, I'm 36. Um, that's a thing. What else am I? What were they? It was, and I'm a lady, Mm -hmm. goddess, woman. Um, girl, depending on who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, I said, uh, uh, social class, you talked about ability, you even mentioned religion already, or spirituality and that. <laughs> and heterosexual, basically. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Um, yeah. I grew up working class, and now I guess I'm technically poor, but... Not really. Kind of in a... Do, do, do you watch the show Girlfriends? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm Lynn. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. You're like... <laughs> That's me. So for me, this is... Let me know if this resonates with you. For me, yes. Lynn is middle class with no money. Yes! That... Exactly! She's traveled and not all <laughs> these, you know, fun, funky experiences. Yeah, totally. <laughs> She's like, I buy into that. That sounds good for me. <laughs> sure does. What do you what about the ways in which those identities show up and maybe intersect with your more salient ones? So like what? Anyway, you can think of. They may or may um, not for you. Okay, so like with being bipolar and uh, being black, maybe? Maybe. Don't you mean like how they yeah. intersect? Mm-hmm. So uh, something that I realized, like I do talks, uh, and one of the talks I do is to uh, about uh, the black community more specifically um, and mental illness and the concept that runs pretty hard and fast about like praying it away mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. have a diagnosis yeah. and just the stigma associated with it. And something that I realized is there are so many, you know, things to consider when you're, when people, when you get treatment Mm -hmm. and people think about, you know, your gender, they think about your sexual orientation. I, there isn't necessarily a, doesn't seem to be a cultural aspect to how treatment happens Mm. or people understanding what comes what that person brings into the room you know what i mean like what's weird yeah yeah (laughs) what's weird for someone is um what's weird for one culture is not for another for Mm -hmm. example um what is an example Oh, it's, oh, goodness, of cultural awareness. Oh, it's hard. Oh, this is hard. Mm -hmm. But just uh, a specific example is escaping me, but like just dynamics within families. And one of the big things is I've been to some treatments for eating disorders. And let me tell you, 
sorry, or attempted to be. It is a middle class and higher white woman's and girl's disease. Yeah, yeah. I am Mrs. Super Self Advocate, and I live in Boston. Love it or leave it, it is an embarrassment of riches. How much, how many services, how many programs, how many studies I get. Let me tell you, I have stuff up the yin yang if I want because I'm, quote, high functioning, and I know who to ask and what to do and where to go. I go to the literally best hospitals in the country and I can just walk in and get that help. Shout out to Ted Kennedy, rest in peace. And so that's, you know, a reality for Mm -hmm. me. However, eating disorder, you're fucked. I've tried. I have looked. And so I went to this program and it was, it was, uh, covered under my insurance and it was a group program. And, uh, it, it didn't really work out because the nature of it, it just didn't work out. And so I was talking with them and doing an exit interview and I was like, you know, it, um, this didn't, you know, the, the group dissolved, you know, just stuff happened. Um, and I just want you to know, here's the reality of what it's like to have this illness and not be a part of one of those groups. Mm. And it was kind of like, yeah, I mean, it sucks. And it's like, if you're a practitioner of something, mm-hmm. I get that it's not, you are also not necessarily the same person who's fixing some of the problems around it, but not understanding going, like, what it took to get there, mm. you know? And, like, it's, it, it, it was it was a problem. It was a problem, and I feel like other communities, like, with mental health, with other stuff, um, a lot of things that are peer-run, peer is a term, I don't, is that used everywhere, peer, uh, for people with lived experience? It can be, yeah, I've heard I don't that. like it, but it's, it's, it's what it, it is what it is. So with peer-run things, there's kind of an understanding of how things work. Like, I went to a training, and they had, like, uh, things on the table uh, if you needed soothing, like tactile things, mm-hmm. um, and just if you needed to take a step out, then you could take a step out and come back in, and, like, things made sense, things got done, because they understood where people were coming from as far as with different diagnoses. And I feel like as a industry, I, I guess a study that when it comes to some mental health practitioners that that's not taken into account is, I mean, there's more to me than the fact that I don't have a lot of money, but that is a part of it. And just, you know, oh, perfect example. I uh, had a male, uh, um, a white guy therapist for mm-hmm. a little while, and he basically did the whole get over it when I was talking no. about like, racial stuff. What? It's time to practice radical acceptance. <laughs> it's like time to practice your mother. What are you talking about? Wait a minute. Hold on. So his position on your experience with racism was accept it. Yes. Yes. Wow. What are you going to do? Radical acceptance. Wow. You know what I mean? Everybody's got their thing. That's one of his favorites. What was that like for you? Um, It sucked. Yeah. It really mm-hmm. sucked. And it's like, on the other hand... <laughs> I have my psychiatrist. Shout out to my psychiatrist. She's the best. Um, The first person that diagnosed me, the first psychiatrist was a man. And I knew that I didn't want a male psychiatrist. There would have just been stuff. And so I was like, can you make a recommendation? And he happened to be black. And I think that this, shout out to that guy. He sent me to this 
black Haitian lady, and it's basically like she's family. It's yeah. wonderful. And the other day we were talking about something, and I was like, yeah, and then this person in this situation said something about all lives matter, and she shook her head and said, they just don't understand. And it was like she wasn't she wasn't like trying to make a point. Mm-hmm. She wasn't trying to like, yeah, Amber, I understand. She said it in the same way. She said, here's your slip to make your next appointment. I mean, it was just, here's a reality of what is. Mm. And I'm there with you. And we both just shook our head. And it's like, I love that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it got to the point. Okay. So this is, uh, this, this is going to sound so weird. But, you know, because I'm high functioning, I, I've learned how the system works so that if you get a therapist, you're not stuck with them. You right. can fire them and get the help you need. I started, it became like dating where I'm like finding my type. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I figured out that uh, there aren't a lot of black women in uh, that in the in my situation of, you know, with the insurance I have and where I am and blah, blah, blah. But foreigners... <laughs> I had a German and I had a lady who was Jewish, Greek, and Italian. Mm -hmm. It was so different. Like they got me in a way that made so much sense. And it was so cool that their otherness, like it didn't matter. German. I mean, it doesn't get wider than that, but it didn't matter because we had like, she normalized how I felt about different relationships. Mm. She's like, well, what's wrong with that? Like, how could that be a thing? Like, they were both troublemakers in their own ways because they think so differently than the system that I was used to. The troublemaking and, therapist. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, a, it, it, was, it was so familiar. And so having a black woman wasn't going to be an option, but it was so cool and weird and it... It doesn't make sense, but it does. Mm -hmm. Having people from other countries, there are just norms that they understood. Not blackness. I remember once I brought up Tyler Perry and the German was like, who's that now? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. But, um, but, you know, whatever. And so, (laughs) oh, you'll love how I got my latest therapist. So it was a tough road to hoe because now I'm spoiled. (laughs) I'm getting all these, you know, perfect for the time therapists. And so I I was like, listen, are there any black women? And I called a service that will find a therapist for you. So you have to do all these cold callings. Yeah, I know. So I called them up. I told them my insurance. And I was like, I'm looking for a black woman. And and they call back. They're like, well, we found a woman who's mixed race. I was like, cool. And so I show up. And there's this woman who is obviously not not mixed. Um, she's like Greek or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and she's American. And I was like, okay, so uh, not to be that girl, but <laughs> and I told her about you know the foreigners and the black women and the da da da. She's like, no, I'm not mixed. My kids are Cape are half Cape Verdean, but maybe that's where the person who called got confused. But no, I'm not mixed. Uh, uh, so I was like, oh great, girl, she's the best. She's closer to my age, and Aww. she gets stuff. Like I thought it was. I thought she was good. like she doesn't like try too hard. She mm-hmm. doesn't like speak slang. That's not her thing. But like I was talking like if I talk about like oh these guys they were so whatever they said pause when they were talking about their friends and I was mm-hmm. like do you know what the term pause means? She said of course I do. <laughs> and, you know, and like she knows like 
it's like not in it and again not in a trying too hard way mm-hmm. so now she looks really young so i call her diversity not diversity I, yeah I, I give them all nicknames and so hers is diversity <laughs> yeah so yeah oh and i didn't think mental health was important and here it is <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying over diversity. (laughs) Oh, but it feels so good to find someone who gets it to whom you don't have to explain every single detail and to tell the story from shadow slavery, uh, shadow slavery on up so that you said you can be understood. I get that. Oh, wow. I'm jumping around a little bit. So, okay. What does love mean to you? Oh, brother. So, okay. That was um, a long pause. It is. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. I think that love is... When you care a lot about someone... And you're invested in their happiness to some extent. However, I don't believe that humans have um, unconditional love. Mm, mm-hmm. And I don't think that that makes them bad. Yeah. And I don't think it makes them flawed. I think it makes them human. Got it. Say more about that. Okay. So it comes down to sex. This is when I realized it. Um, There are people like Steve Harvey who say, if you don't have sex with your man, unless you're pregnant with his child, after 30 days, then it's fair game for him to cheat. What? Yeah, so that's a thing. Sorry, it might have been 60. but um, Either way. Either way. (laughs) After some odd weeks uh that's just how that's going to work and so for me well that's not unconditional love (laughs) you know and so it's like well that's a little easier to understand Mm -hmm. but let's say that somebody can't or won't have sex for seven years so the option is unconditional love says that they would stay together Mm -hmm. and that the person who can't or doesn't want to have sex will have a partner who goes five or seven years without sex and that that's okay. Got it. It's okay for them to go and have a 40, 50, 60, 70 more years of life with no sex. And that's okay because we're still in a relationship. On the other hand, let's say you're the person who can have sex, but your partner can't or won't. And you're like, yeah, I could see another 50 years of not having sex because I unconditionally love that person. It's like somebody once said, I was on a podcast, I wish I could give credit, but I remember who it was, but they said, if you're in a relationship and you're, if you're in a relationship and you're not having sex, then that's just your homeboy. Mm. So it's, I don't think it makes either person bad, but I do know people who have like gone through years and years of a, a person having a disease, their partner having a disease and then holding their hand until they die. And that's the life that they wanted to live. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people who are like, Hey, I've been sick. It doesn't look like I'm getting better. Live your life. And you know, I don't, 
I don't think any permutation of what people want is bad. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you set up the rules and either change them or don't break them, change them, or move on to the next player. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, that's, that's my thing. So for you, it's not unconditional. What is it? It's, I don't know. It's it's a type of love. Mm -hmm. No, I mean Um, like if that's one aspect of it, not being conditional, but if you were to define it. I, I, I don't have anything eloquent between, besides being invested in someone's happiness and mm-hmm. caring about them a lot. Got it. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't have anything fancier. No, I'm just, I'm just breaking it down because yeah. investment in someone's happiness is really important. Yeah. And caring about them. How do you, how do you describe what caring means? Because I'm finding that care means something a little different to everyone. Well, I think that in a... Okay, so it has to come into the intersection of what you can do mm-hmm. and what that person needs. Because mm. one of the things that I hate, and I'm sure I do, sure I do it. Of course I do it. Everyone does it. Is when when all you have is a hammer, then every problem is a nail. Yeah, yeah. If you're a hugger, that person's feeling down. Come here, bring it in, mm-hmm. bring it in. And it's like I need so much space right now. But hugging is what I do to make people know I love them. So let me hug you now. That's that's not showing love. Got that's it. for you. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, like for me, I don't give stuff. I don't give gifts. Yeah. But I give time. You know what I mean? I'll yeah. talk to you. I'll, well, I, I think I'm at a point where my friends no longer need help moving. Gotcha. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. But, you know, I'll take you to the airport. Like, I'll do stuff. I can be of service. That is my thing but I'm not going to you know do for you what you I don't want to try to fix someone Mm. so it has to be what do they need versus you know combined with does this make sense what they need and what you can give and when they match then I think that that's when ultimate awesomeness is made got it so if I'm hearing you it's like you know what you can provide and I think you were kind of referencing the love languages like acts of service. That's your thing. Even quality time. That's your thing. But sometimes people might need something that you can't offer them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And in that instance, you know, you just do the best you can. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just being a call away. Yeah. Um, and sometimes not. I, I'm always upfront with, uh, that I, yeah, I'm probably not going to be a good, there, there are going to be times when I can't be the go-to to talk you off a literal or proverbial ledge. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll need self-care and that I can't take on stuff. Mm-hmm. I get that. that's not how I can be of service. But it doesn't mean that I don't love someone just because I'm, honest about what I what capacity I can help right it can't sounds like you're really good at setting what your boundaries are for um, how you can that, be with people 
Yes, and that is because of bipolar disorder mm-hmm. treatment. Mm-hmm. When I mean, I I studied to be a therapist. I was going to do expressive therapy, mm. but I went the I got bit by the acting bug, gotcha. and I was just like, "Fuck this therapy shit!" And so I just became <laughs> a performer. So I I have that background, and that's why I'm so open and comfortable with getting these services because I was like, this was going to be me. I believe in this type of treatment for myself. I know that this stuff can work if you work it. And so I you know, have a toolbox of things that I can use and vocabulary that I can use. And so a lot of stuff for mental health that help with mental health just help with health. They're just wellness in general. Yeah. yeah. What would the world be like if it loved you? If it loved humans like you, black women, black women with bipolar disorder who are um, middle class with no money or whatever, all of the identifiers that make you, you. (laughs) Um, Let me cook. Mm, Let me cook. Tell me, break that on down. Like, um... I feel like, okay, there doesn't have to be this, like, I don't think that black women will have won, in quotes, because Mm -hmm. it's a contest, Mm -hmm. okay, (laughs) Uh, because of this imaginary contest that patriarchy says that we have, we don't win when everyone, when we become the new white girl. Right, right. (laughs) You know, when we become the coddled, hyper-protected, you know, whatever. That's not winning. Me being able to live my best life and being able to do my thing on my terms without impediment. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Sorry, allergies. No problem. Um, that is that is what would be helpful for me. Mm. So uh, doing this 48-hour film thing is is so important to me. I'm so excited. And the look on women's faces when I tell them, because uh, the troupe that I was in now, they I used to be the black one. And now mm-hmm. got, we can start an NWACP branch. Ooh, <laughs> like okay. I was like, okay. And it's a big group. There's like, it's like the Wu-Tang Clan. There's a bunch <laughs> of them. And so like all the girls, like one of the women, I walk into the dressing room, one of the women's undoing her hair. I was like, twist out. She's like, hey girl. I'm <laughs> and it was just this instant familiarity. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And I want to work with them. And I want us to do our thing. I want us to have our own thing and have that be okay. There was um, there was this uh, cool story that I forgot. That's story number two that I forgot. <laughs> but, but in any case, it is being able to – oh, I know what it is. People do mental gymnastics when they hear about my show, Black Chick Watching. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, – it's usually men of every color of the rainbow. So this is not like a white man thing. Gotcha. It's usually um, a man. And it's like, how can I make this not be about black women? I feel mm. like they, they stay up nights thinking. And they're like, here's why you should have me on the show. Or here's why you should have this one guy on the show. Or here's why you should have this one, you know, white woman on the show. Or da, da, da. No, no, no. Give me mine. So just feeling like you don't have a place on your own. There has to be somebody else quarterbacking. Yeah, it's like, 
let me cook. Mm. And it's funny, I do, it's a podcast, but the talk I do is called Black Chick Watching. And the first part is me breaking down with slides showing, you know, what it's like for me to watch something Mm -hmm. and showing them examples of things and just the horrible examples and the ones that get it right. And at the second half, it's blank, blank watching. So fill in the blank with whatever you are. So I've heard fat chick watching Mm -hmm. and there's mixed watching. And my favorite is blind girl squinting. (laughs) And so it becomes about, other people telling their stories and the stuff I hear is amazing. It's like, I never knew that that was a thing for that group. Mm -hmm. And it's like eye opening. And one happened to me two days ago. I did the talk for some professors. um, And one of them was a lesbian and she's white. And she said her, what was moving for her, something that was a big deal, uh, was the color purple. And in my head, I was like, we're going to hear some liberal white here. <laughs> but no, she said, as a lesbian who mm, wasn't out, that was important mm-hmm. to me. I was like, oh, snap. That's so true. Like, because I'm looking at it through my, my black girl lens. It's like, well, if anyone else likes it, it's going to be on this more superficial level. Just like what watching Schindler's List was for me. It was moving and deep, but there is a distance. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's what black stuff is for other people. But she was like, no, it was little. It wasn't obvious because they people weren't ready for more Mm. at that time. But she's Mm -hmm. like, just that little bit, you know, where I live in the middle of nowhere, you know, Omaha. It it was a big movie that happened, and it was just so cool to see her light up when she was talking about it. And it's like. That is why the second half of that talk is for that. So I'm unapologetically me in the first part, but I like when other people get to tell their stories. In my lifetime, the only um, Asian story that wasn't like martial arts and geisha related that I have ever seen is Joy Luck Club. Wow. That is it. That's a good point. Mm. You know? There was a guy who wanted to start a podcast for first-generation Asian uh, people to tell their stories and what it's like in this country and their history and stuff. Then he's like, well, maybe I'll make it about um, you know, first-generation people from anywhere. I was like, no! You know, make, make it, it about specific. you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we need to hear your story from you. So be unapologetic about... I mean, make it about one country. Mm-hmm. You know, that is... I don't know. That's important. I think that other people should tell their stories. I want to hear people's stories done well. Um, I want the world to have that. And I think that I want that for myself, too. Mm, I like that. So letting you just cook. Be you. Do you on your terms. Yes. And allowing other people the space to do them. Is there any way that sometimes some people doing them impacts your ability to do you because there's harm involved in the way they do them? Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Um, for example, you were, were you about to ask for an example? No, I wasn't. Go for it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So (laughs) one of the examples is when they make it a either or, like, are we going to have this be a black chick or are we going to have it be an Asian chick? Mm. Or are we going to have it be a light chick or have it be a dark skin chick? You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, 
So it definitely has to be one, and we're going to choose. And, you know, there's a tally. And it's like there was this guy, a white guy. You're going to be surprised that when I tell you the story, okay. he was talking, he wants to be in entertainment and he was talking about diversity initiatives. And he's like, I really want diversity initiatives to work, but I also want to have chances to be in Hollywood. And it's so hard to make it. Da, 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 da. Cool. So when we talk about, you can no longer, you can't say that mm-hmm. and say, mm-hmm. I never owned slaves because you take away the, betterment of other people Mm. and say, but what about me? Mm. You don't get to do both. You know what I mean? Got it. You are a part of the problem. Now it is scary. Everybody has privilege. And in the last few years, I have realized my space in the world with how I am. And I remember I listened to a podcast about a group I am not a part of, and I will never admit what the group was, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, a marginalized group that I'm not a part of. And when I, I was giving a review of it, didn't say the name, but I did say, is this what it's like to be around black people? Cause I was super annoyed. Wow. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's complicated. Like I get it, but I also know enough to like, I didn't keep listening cause I was annoyed, mm-hmm. but I did educate myself or tried to educate myself a little more. And I know that it doesn't have to be scarcity mentality, but there are people with scorecards, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, and it's like, that's not how it works. You can have more than one thing. Well, that kind of connects to the next question I had, which is what identities and others do you sometimes struggle to love? What do you mean? So, You might have an experience where you don't feel like, and it can be a social location or it can be just a way of being where you're like, "Mm, that is annoying or that is frustrating or I don't want to be around people like that or I have a little, you know, whatever that is. Um, uh, yes. And there are some I'm not going to admit to. That's real. That's real. I will. Say something that I um, so you've heard me talk about how blackity black and black y'all and shit like that, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you know, oh, the Caribbean this, Caribbean that. However, I have the frost of 36 New England winters in my vein, and I am New England all day, every day. Like, I have a very defined personal space. Like, mm-hmm. like, I just have a lot of New Englandisms mm-hmm. in me. And, you know, I live in Boston, um, and I have for my whole life, educated here, all that stuff. Um, yeah, so I have issues that I know I have of perceptions with the South mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I need healing with. And also, because I'm Caribbean, especially because I'm half Jamaican, we're horrible people. We oh, are, no. Uh, we are... <laughs> like might as well be white like we are terrible but you know and it's so you put those together and I think that there I I know enough to know that I need that it's a thing yeah I I know enough to know it's a thing we all have them we all have those things where it's like "Mm." I probably need to still work on that. Or some of us may be like, I'm not even going to try to work on that. That's just where I'm at. You know? Mm -hmm. 
So for you, something about folks from the South in personal you know space. <laughs> what? I said in personal space. <laughs> oh, God, you don't even know. But, like, it's weird. It's not people in the South. It's the South. Mm. It's almost like it's a con- a concept. Okay. Almost. And, um... And it's weird. And people talk about, you know, well, Boston's really racist. And I'm like, where are your, we're basically rooting for our white people. When, when people say that, that's what they're doing. Our white people are better than your white people. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not playing that game, but it's this weird thing of like, I went to, you know, this one woman was talking about uh, somewhere in the Midwest and she's like, Oh, if you're driving from one town to another you circumvent, you basically drive in a D. So you go straight, then you curve around one, uh, one city, and then you keep going because you will get murdered if you go through there. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. And then it's like, and then I went to Boston, and they talked to me mean. And it's like, what? Are, <sighs> I don't understand. I would rather the petty, the petty you know, unspoken tension mm-hmm. than doing, making detours. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just weird and no place is perfect. I'm more invested in this than I should be. <laughs> <laughs> and like some of my, oh, I almost said some of my best friends are from the South. What is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> it's Do so see, easy. It's, like, it's so easy listen, to let it slip off your tongue. <laughs> I spoke my truth so everyone listening now it is a rule that you have to still like me and not start a letter writing campaign (laughs) against me that's how the world works i am now immune (laughs) well the last question to wrap us up is what do you love most about you oh my god i love my creativity Mm, like mm -hmm. i have a very weird life and but I've got so many stories and I've done so many things and I've created so many things and inspired oh god I've inspired so many people like that is what my life is about is about inspiring people helping them to get to the next level and find their passion like that's why I was put here Mm. to to do that and I love that and so that's when did you first learn that Um, when I was a kid, um, I, there were a couple times where I made a teacher cry, Mm -hmm. not, not like that, but like I said something at the right time and like at a parent teacher meeting, uh, one parent, one uh, teacher was like, you know what? It was weird. She, she said, I, she said, what's wrong? And I said, nothing. She's like, no, really, what's wrong? And she started to cry. She's like, I had to leave the room. It was a whole thing. She just had this intuition. Mm. And then I, like, wrote something in a class and, you know, at the parent-teacher meeting. Go parents going to the parent-teacher mm-hmm. meeting, by the way. And she's like, yeah, her writing is really powerful. She should keep doing that. And then when I got uh, to college, that's when I was like, I should put this to work. Mm, okay. I should make this a career. And that's why I was going to be a therapist. And then I, I inspired people from a stage instead. All right. So from a young age, you knew you had impact. Um, I don't know if 
I knew it, but I did. Okay, I don't know got on it. what level, but, uh, but yeah. And you love your creativity. Any other things that you love about you? Um, oh, I wish I have phenomenal woman memorized. No, you don't have to, but. Like, I don't have it memorized, but I, I'm pretty dope. I think I'm pretty dope. All right. Well, I thank you so much for being on the show with me. It was a pleasure to talk to you and hear your perspective and your amazing stories. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. To connect and contribute, go to howtolovehuman.com. For more episodes, find Dr. Candace Nicole on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you like the show, leave a five-star review. Thank you, and see you next week. How to love a human.